This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Sports History Network Showcase, our in-house show featuring SHN podcasters talking sports, talking history, and talking sports history. This is Darren Hayes, host of the Sports History Network's Pigskin Daily History Dispatch. And don't worry, you're in the right place. Don't try to adjust your sets because for this episode, for a reason that will become evident in just a moment, I'm filling in as host. That is because, of course, we've turned the tables and your normal host is our guest today. Yes, we're here to learn about Oz Davis and his Truly the Goats podcast. Oz, how are things going, my friend? I'm okay. I, I like the do not adjust your set. <laughs> I think we're we're doing another same, show and we just same bat up. channel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoa, dude, 60s flashback. <laughs> I figured I'd throw you for a loop there. So, how are things going here, Oz? How are how's it sitting on that side of the microphone on your show? On my show, I, it's okay, I guess. I I don't know. I'm still in limbo. I I feel like the rest of the country is is open for business, but California, we're still uh, we're still limited. Nothing's open. Like my kids yeah, aren't in school. My kids aren't going to school this semester. So, really? Um, oh. Yeah. So, so how am I? I'm in purgatory, Darren. Uh, <laughs> nothing changes. Every day is like the other. I mean, you already have that effect in Orange County because the weather kind of tends to stay the same, mm-hmm. basically the same, like all year. So <laughs> there's no sense of time. So you're almost like a reverse. Uh the movie groundhog day you're sort of in reverse with nicer weather though yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not sure the time is passing at all my name is oz davis and this is truly the goats the sports history podcast with a sense of perspective Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about your your show, Truly the Goats. And you're a man whose sports history interests are all over the charts. I mean, just by listening to a lot of your episodes, uh, a multitude of sports from many different time periods, many different places around the world. Why don't you share with us, where does this, all this well, world worldly rounded uh, sports interest come from? Well, I guess Truly the Goats, I say sometimes, is is really the culmination of a lot of interest I've had uh, through my life, really, but more importantly, through my career. Um, You know, I started as a journalist and I started way back in the day when um, weekly newspapers were a big thing. So the 90s, the the big explosion in independent publishing, in, in, in independent newsweeklies and like that. And one of the things I liked about that was it was a nice rhythm. Okay, so you're putting together the paper in a week. You're, you're writing your story in a week. Okay, so that was enough to do a nice deep dive into it. You know, you're not just doing the surface daily paper thing where you call your one source and you get the same quote you always get. Do it up seven hundred words, bingo, by five o'clock. Right. So, so it was enough to do sort of a deeper dive into the subject, but that deadline wasn't so far away that you got bored with it. 
you know, so it's, it's kind of like the World Cup. <laughs> you know, it's, it's enough time to get obsessed with it, to get really into it, but not enough to drive everybody crazy or to burn out, right? So <laughs> it, was, it was a good uh, timing in that respect. So, so in that respect, I like the podcast format. I like the storytelling format. Uh, I, uh, another thing I usually say is, you know, I consider myself a writer first and a sports writer second. You know, that it's just a good milieu. I mean, since I was a kid, I've been in sports, right? My dad was in sports. My brother was in sports. So yeah, I'm in sports. And uh, so, you know, that's always kind of been there in the background. As for the history aspect of it, well, you know, again, kind of a culmination of things. You know, you get into grad school. I, I, I went into grad school and that's where you learn about research. You know, wow, that's kooky. You know, uh, and that that's a fun thing to do. Again, I like doing the deep dive into something. So the research, doing research is something I've gotten, if I may say, if I may say so myself, um, reasonably good at. Um, I mean, in the internet milieu. So so it's it's good to do that. Uh, this is another aspect that I've put into Truly the Goats. As far as the actual inspiration, it comes from many different places. Um, one of my hobbies, sort of one of my areas of academic interest, even though I never really studied it in school formally, is, for example, Aztec culture. And of course, one of the things that a lot of people know about the Aztec culture, we know so very little because the Spanish did a very quick and thorough job on the entire culture. So a lot of information is lost. But one of the things that we know about the culture, of course, is about the great ball games. You know, mm, and yeah. uh, I've always been interested. There's very little information out there, but I always chase around the stuff or 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 you know just souvenirs or or, or pictures or videos when somebody uh goes to the the you know the courts in mexico or whatever uh, i'm really kind of into that so here's an example of sports history that's beyond what we so in north america so crassly refer to as all time i mean Stuff like this is all time. You know, you know uh, there's been many movies in which, not so much these days, but more of my dad's day, uh, about Rome. Of course, when you talk Rome, you almost always talk either the gladiators or the chariot racers. And the more you find about even 20th century sports in America, when you dig into history, it's, you're uncovering this whole universe. I mean, the, the, the chariot racers, um, this uh, event, this, this was a complicated sport. I mean, they had a schedule. They had teams that were like Formula One teams in that you had sponsors and you tried to hire the best mechanics and, you know, horsemen, you know, um, you, 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 it was a real complicated dynamic. And, you know, we like to think that in America and in Britain, that we invented sports, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, there's these fascinating games. And, and if you're somebody like me, um, I just had somebody, I'm doing show now, some shows now on Gaelic sports. And so, you know, I had my friend from Ireland on the show. And it, so if you're like me and like him, and you just like all sports, well, you know, history has 
all these other you know games that you never heard of and that are freaking awesome and mm-hmm. and you know to some extent that's a lot of what true the goats is not is about not extensively because you know i to spend a lot of time in the 20th century we live in 20th 21st century we live in a very very um golden age platinum age of sports i mean we take it for granted how ubiquitous sports is it hasn't always been like this especially not internationally at the same time um it's 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 a it's it's the best time i think in the history of civilization to be a sports fan yeah i mean you bring up some really interesting things you know you don't really think uh in our American way of thinking, we're thinking like the last 125, 150 years of that's when sports started, you know, like you said, but yeah, when you, as soon as you started saying the Romans, I'm getting, you know, visions of, you know, the movie Ben-Hur at the chariot races and, uh, you know, seeing uh, scenes of like the Hippodrome in in Rome, you know, some of those fascinating. I mean, they used to pack every once in a while, they pack in a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand for chariot racing. Can you imagine I mean, that's no different than a Rose Bowl game in the 70s. It's the the same thing. I mean, it's it's the thrill of sport. You know, it's the spectators. You're cheering for your favorites. And and I've never been to Rome, but isn't like the Hippodrome, like right down the road from the Coliseum, the the Roman Coliseum. So, I mean, it was a a major sports venue, much like we have today. You have a baseball park next to a football stadium, you know. So that's, that's big time. When you say that, you really shed some light on it i never really thought about it that way and i think you do that a and lot in your show there's other there's other uh phenomena like this too i mean it's it's okay so for example you know doing a show on hurling right now um hurling is sort of a cousin of stuff like field hockey and as some folks would have it it's the grandfather of ice hockey because of all the irish that went to canada after the famine but so, when you started but, saying hurling, I was having flashbacks to my college days. I had hurling meant a whole different thing. Wow. <laughs> from yeah. college activities. But yeah. <laughs> okay. That to, makes more sense what you're saying. <laughs> thanks to the evolution of English, it's rather an unfortunate uh, name for sport <laughs> nowadays. Uh, but <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, I mean, this is a 3,200 year sport year old sport at least um it is you learn that that this is as fundamental to irish culture which people love all out of proportion to you know the amount of knowledge they have uh, of it in the same way that the gladiators are to rome or baseball and basketball and football are to america or cricket and rugby and and games like that are to england the british empire really, to be honest, um, the, the, the great cultures have their games. Uh, another great one is uh, Japan at the height of the Edo period, when there's sort of um, sort of a cultural isolation. They dedicated themselves to Japanization, right? They, 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 they dedicated themselves to finding a national culture as the world was sort of trending towards this thing called nationalism. They, they wanted to, to pump up their arts and whatnot. And guess what? Sumo wrestling was among those things. Uh, along with building a great culture, they realized that you had to build a great national sport as well. And again, sumo is just a fortunate one. Every culture develops their own wrestling. 
every yeah. every every culture tends to do that we have we have these different variants from in russia when you slap the other guy in the face as hard as you can that's their version of wrestling to something like some native american forms of wrestling where all it is it, it's kind of like arm wrestling so, so mm -hmm. you're grabbing the other guy you know thumb and thumb and wrist and, and palm and palm like that but it's whole body so you're trying to knock the other guy off balance starting from that arm wrestling um, stance so you know it, it's just stuff like this that that blows my mind and that's not even without getting into the universes of sport you uncover here in america that in 70 years we've completely erased from the collective consciousness now okay you made something uh reference the native american wrestling now would that be something i know when i was a kid we had a thing you know it's probably not the proper term to say but we had called it indian leg wrestling i don't know if you did that when you were a kid you'd lay the two you know opponents would lay on the floor inverted from each other you know your your head is where the other guy's feet are and you'd raise your leg that's closest to the other person up and they'd do his you go one two three and then you'd lock sort of behind your knees and whoever could twist the other opponent off of their back would win is that sort of what the yeah see i've heard of that one too um it's it's tough to label it we shouldn't ever label this stuff like Native American or Indian or whatever, because, you know, there's so many cultures within that broad spectrum. I mean, it's like calling somebody European. <laughs> there's so many very distinct, very, I mean, they have different languages, very distinct cultures here. So we shouldn't really call it that. And plus, there's always that distortion that goes on. I mean, something, for example, something like lacrosse. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, here's something that was, you know, slightly distorted. Actually, we did a nice job, <laughs> relatively slightly distorted from the Native American play um, when uh, the North Americans came here. So I kind of like don't can't make that generalization. But, yeah, I've actually heard of that variant as well. Uh, but again, the point is, is that like sports is human. Sports is very human. And it's very fascinating to see the variants that people put on it. Um, one of the things that's distinctive about our own time is just the complexity of the sport. Uh, I've yet to find anything that really matches the complexity of our sports. Chariot racing gets pretty close. The Aztec ball game is, is, is pretty close in complexity. But the truth is, is even the oldest games like samurai uh sumo wrestling samurai wrestling sumo <laughs> wrestling or hurling even something like that is fundamentally a very basic game ah, right? okay. I, mean, I mean um you read about the early hurling right and you may have heard about um so-called football in the medieval age well it wasn't yeah they had this thing and they, they referred to it as football but basically it worked like this um, let's say you're in like Germany or something, uh, you take like a sheep's bladder, right? And then basically you get you and your 300 villagers and you try and kick that thing to the next village over. And the next village has their 300 villagers and they're trying to kick it towards you. And the same thing with hurling and the same thing with lacrosse instead, when the Native Americans played it. Um, one of the important things to remember about sports history and especially in football, American football, is that in the late 19th century, there was this sudden rush to organize everything, right? That's when you got uh, soccer was codified, 
rugby was made distinct from soccer. American football becomes a distinct game. Canadian football starts breaking off. Um, you have the first baseball rules are put into place a little bit earlier, but they're put into place. Uh, you have stuff like international test matches and cricket just beginning. I mean, it's just this great era that launches the modern age. But before that, I mean, sports was typically, if you had a team sport, if you had a ball sport, it was just this weird, complicated, we make up the rules every time we decide to play. No schedule, you know, just, just, you know, let's have fun with sort of this idea of a rule, sort of a goal in mind, so to speak. Yeah. Well, okay. What do you think about, um, you know, some of the old, uh, we know, like, uh, in the even biblical times, they have, uh, writings about races, you know, marathon races. And we know that, you know, the, the Greeks were quite a bit into that even before, you know, uh, biblical writings and everything, you know, having, you know, Sparta against Athens and all those great races. How, how, if you, uh, have any thoughts on any episodes of doing some of those, like some of the great marathon runners of all time? Yeah, I, um, I was really on a roll with the show uh, before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to get for my show, I typically try to get uh, academics. Um, people who work at the sports museums are a really good uh, bet uh, to get on the show and stuff like that. So all the schedules have been thrown off. Um, originally, one of the very first shows I wanted to do was on the Olympics, was on the original Olympics. Um, you know, there, there's some fantastic stories there. And in fact, um, I, I'm kind of glad I didn't do it at the beginning of the show, uh, at the beginning of the series, I should say, because I've since discovered a lot more things. Again, you know, I get to do the deep dive into it. And for 130 years, uh, the Olympic Games, now the Olympic Games were on continuously for a thousand years, pretty wow. much without interruption every four years. People forget this, you know, Greek Empire disappeared, but the Olympics were still there and they were still being held in Greece. Um, those continue. Um, another thing that most people don't realize is that for the first, I want to say like 40 years or so, there was just one sports event, the so-called stadion, which was a, a medium distance running race. Um, this is the last part of the modern marathon now. So they say the marathon is 26 miles. It's 26 miles plus a lap around the stadium. That's from the stadion. That's the original race. Uh, in the Olympics, right? The rest of it was music, dancing, uh, even poetry, stuff like that. Um, and then you throw in, you throw in this race, but it expanded after that. And for 130 years, when we had multiple sports in there, the Olympics was dominated by guess what? The Spartans, right? Mm. The Spartans were a culture known for being warriors. And then the Olympics, of course, were all about the unification of Greece and the symbolic um, you know, notion of that. Well, guess what? With fewer wars, the Spartans who trained both men and women to be physically perfect turned to sports. You know, and for me, that's like, you know, the Spartans are one of the profound stories of sports history. And it reminds me a lot of 
you know, the Cold War Olympics back when I was a kid, because I mean, that's what it was, right? It was, you know, culture showing and military might in sports, you know, <laughs> which, which is probably how a civilized society would do it if, if there were one. No, but yeah, so that one's on the that one's on the back burner. I just would like to find somebody to do it. Um, I had one guy, but he got sick. <laughs> you yeah. know, to be honest, um, I don't know if it was COVID, but um, so uh, that one's that one's it's it's there, it's there, it's coming, it's coming. Well, why don't, why don't you highlight some of the episodes that you do have out there, uh, just oh, wow. to let our listeners know? You know, just uh, okay. Okay. Give us that. Give us the fifty thousand foot view. You know. Okay. All right. Let's see. I could probably do them all in order. Um, I only average about one of these a month. Uh, episode one was Jim Thorpe, of course. Um, as Americans, I'm absolutely shocked at how forgotten this story has become. I remember reading about this this guy when I was a kid, seventies, like eighties, and uh, I thought that you know he was a household name. I mean to be the winner of the decathlon and pentathlon at the same Olympics to play professional football and professional baseball. Uh, he was actually the first commissioner of the NFL, which is amazing right. because he was also the halfback of the Canton Bulldogs <laughs> at the same time. I don't think you'll ever see a player commissioner again. Uh, in our <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Unless things change very drastically. I, I can't uh, imagine, you know, Goodell getting under center anytime soon. And uh... yeah, well, I mean, in reverse, it would be LeBron James. Oh, you there know. You go. Uh, time there you out go. at half. I got to take some calls from the team. <laughs> what, what do they want me to do about this players agreement? Um, Let's okay. start this owner's meeting off by throwing some powder up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got uh, episode two is about gladiators. Um, let's see. Yeah, see already I'm using the order. I, I get fuzzy on the order. Uh, I have an episode on Babe Didrikson Saharius, who is basically mm -hmm. the, the female Jim Thorpe. Um, won three medals at the Olympics, uh, won a basketball championship at the AAU, uh, played, some, played some touring baseball, uh, actual baseball baseball, played some touring ball. Uh, back in the day of barnstorming, and uh, ultimately formed the LPGA because there was no professional women's golf tour. And uh, she was so good that she needed a place to play, and so she had to form a tour. And basically is still acknowledged as one of the great uh, women's golfers of all time, if not one of the great golfers of all time. Uh, I got that one in there. I've got a very interesting one on uh, sumo wrestling. Even if you don't know anything about sumo, uh, that's a nice episode because, um, again, it illustrates uh, the, the futility of the all-time notion. Uh, here is a sport, sumo, here is a sport where they've had organized tournaments and stats. Okay, That's key. Going back like 800 years, I think it is. So we can actually compare goats we can have this debate realistically in sumo wrestling um and since the late 17th early 18th century a guy named Raiden, uh who you may have heard of he's in mortal Kombat now along mm -hmm. with uh pokemon and many other expressions still alive in other words in asian culture japanese culture um and just recently 
has there been a guy who can actually compare? And actually now to, to have an all-time great in sumo is a big deal. They don't throw around that word like we do. Okay. They, they don't do that. And to have that happen now is a big deal. And so, and you know, there's all these questions because guess what? Our boy now is Mongolian. Uh-huh. And up until about 50 years ago, there was no such thing as a foreigner that could reach the highest level. And so there's questions about, you know, does it make it an inferior game? Is this turning Japanese folks off to the subject of whatever? So it's kind of an interesting sport in that there's a lot of parallels with how American sport might someday go, you know, uh, in terms of the business angle and, and whatnot. Um, it, it's, it's followed a very uh, interesting uh, path similar to like cricket for example where england invents the game popularizes the game and now they're about the fifth or sixth best at it in the world uh <laughs> their their students have overcome the masters so kind of the same thing in sumo uh let's see i have a nice one on john donaldson who is the greatest baseball player you've never heard of of course his heyday came in the day of segregation and um the Negro League uh, ownership, of course, had a very iron fist over their players, like in American sports, same kind of deal. And so John Donaldson was a guy who was talented enough to play with the best in the world, you know, even the, the best white guys, but spent most of his career, you know, playing in Montana, you know, Kansas, you know, because it was good for good for business. You know? And Basically, he smoked everybody around the country. I mean, I mean, this is not too unusual. Satchel Page is doing the same thing, but for some reason, a guy like John Donaldson uh, is forgotten, um, hmm. along with most of the greats in the in the Negro Leagues. Um, let's see. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what. Other, oh, I have an interesting episode that that almost anybody can appreciate um, on the greatest baseball song of all time. I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to kind of closet you. I'm going to kind of out you here. Um, have you listened to that episode yet? Yeah. Yeah, I have. It's a good oh, one. Oh, you have. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've, so I've you heard know what the greatest. You know what the greatest baseball song of all time is. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Do you agree I think me? I agree. Okay. I think I agree. Okay. And yet, I don't think anybody guesses that going in. I've tried really? it on about, I've tried it on about 20 people and about one, per, I think one person got it. You don't think of it that way. Yeah, I, I, that was my immediate thought when I when you first posed the question yes, at the beginning of your. Yes, you might be the one. I, in fact, I think you're the one. In fact, you're the one. I think because I asked this with everybody. I asked my producer. He didn't get it. <laughs> that's that's a fun one. It's short, but there's a whole story behind the song that again we all take for granted. If you dig deep enough, there's this whole universe behind it, and it's just. Wow. So, and then of course I got coming up. I've got several episodes on Irish. Irish sports coming up. I mean, you you missed one of your big ones. You have a Muhammad Ali one that's just oh yes, of super course. super fight. I mean, it's uh, yes, really well of done. Of course, yeah, that was another one that really blew my mind. See, a lot of these shows are coming from that place. Again, I, I remember hearing about Thorpe as, as a child. I remember hearing about Babe Didrikson as a child. I remember hearing, and now I wonder about Bo Jackson. Because I don't think that the Generation Z knows who Bo Jackson is, and I don't. Maybe know, not. I don't. They didn't even play the game. 
<laughs> right, right. So I, and that's the, to me, that we saw him, that's just mind blowing uh, to think that he'll be forgotten. But anyway, Muhammad Ali versus Rocky Marciano, I had heard about this when I was a kid, back in the early days of more accessibility to computers, uh, finding more uses for old, you know, the big bus station computers. Um, Sports promoter got the idea to do fantasy style all time tournaments in boxing. And, you know, this was a big hit on the radio. Uh, he had actually the top radio boxing announcer do the play-by-play you know, off of these long, those green and white printout sheets, if you remember mm-hmm. those with the holes on the sides. And back then they were doing that in 67. <laughs> but then also from that came the movie, the, the Ali Marciano movie, pitting the two undefeated at that time, heavyweights of all time in a movie. And I read about this when I was a kid. You know, I was kind of ahead of the curve on this. I was obsessed with tabletop gaming. So, so I read all I could in books and magazines in those days about computer gaming, about simulating this stuff on computers. Because after this, a lot of guys had done stuff with like horse racing. So that's another easy one to statistically pair different right. eras with uh, without visuals and whatnot. So I thought everybody knew this. And then like you, for example, you didn't even know it. You no, know, the football no. history dude had never heard of this. Uh, <laughs> even like old time sports, I think had never heard of this. And I was just like, wow. You know, and so if there is a mission with truly the goats, especially for the 20th century, the 21st century stuff, it is that. It is, come on, let, let's not forget the Jim Thorpe's of our culture. Let's not forget the super fight. You know, what a great story. Yeah. I mean, let me, for the listeners, if you haven't heard Oz's uh, truly the goats podcast, I mean, you bring some really interesting elements to the entertainment value of your podcast. And actually you use a wide array of of tools. Um, You know, you, you talked about the, uh, the, the babe, uh, was that her name? Babe uh, Dickerson. Uh, You have, uh, quite a theatrical presence to it. You know, you have some uh, uh, speakers that are uh, a female uh, actress, I assume, talking in acting as babe, speaking some of her quotes and uh, some of her thoughts and makes it very interesting, very appealing to the entertainment value. You know, this the super fight, you're bringing in actual, you know, excerpts of uh, the, the actual show into, into your Thing. And it really makes you feel like you're there, that the listener's there. And it's just such an entertaining way of uh, doing a podcast and so unique. I don't really hear anything else on it. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And it's, uh, I think that's something that's just really, as I told you many times, I think it's crazy good and it's very entertaining. Where, where do you get to come up with some of those thoughts? I mean, do th- some of those things. Here's the thing is, is okay, I think like like the some of the main influences for the actual style of the podcast are not sports and so i'm happy for that because then to a lot of um the sports fans out there you know this is kind of a new format for them uh some of my favorite podcasts are like revisionist history you know malcolm gladwell's thing um i used to like uh the um oh what is it called a political one uh, but they got a, a, a bit too uh, mainstreaming for me. So maybe I shouldn't give the name. I also like a podcast called Skeptoid, which is mostly about debunking either urban myths or, you know, these crazy like history channel kind of things like aliens built the pyramids, uh, you know, so it kind of debunks that. So, and again, too, um, 
I'm doing a lot of research on these things. And so I'm trying to present it in it. Basically, it's almost like a course. I almost feel like on some level I'm, I'm teaching a course because I'm going in there learning about this stuff and then I'm presenting it in, in that sports fashion, right? I, I want to tell that story. Um, and another thing I find really useful, <laughs> let me get in a plug for our sponsor, newspapers.com. <laughs> another thing that, that I find really handy and really eye-opening uh, just in general, just in life is to go back and to look at what people at the time thought. One of the goals with Truly the Goats is about not just the athletes and not just about their sports, which I have to do in a lot of cases like hurling, but about the culture. The time period is immensely important. Again, like we're lucky we live in this time uh, that we have access to so many sports and that uh, so much money is being put into the development of these sports. And we get like a very high level of play. But in the past, that's been completely different. I mean, you get into something like John Donaldson, the great Negro League player. And, and yeah, one of the things I've always been fascinated with since I was a kid are the Negro Leagues. Because it's like this whole alternate universe of baseball. You, you learn about the Yankees. You learn about the 27 Yankees. And, and you learn about Christy Matthewson and, and the 1919 White Sox. And you learn about Joe DiMaggio and, and, and Ted Williams and Sandy Koufax, you know, if your dad was into baseball like mine was. You know, you, you learn about those guys, right? But the truth is that before World War II, for most people, the major leagues were pretty much inaccessible, especially the further west you live. And, and you'd never see them. I mean, if you were born and raised in Iowa, you were never going to see a major league game in your life, like not on the TV because you didn't have one. And you weren't going to drive to St. Louis because it was just too damn far. Maybe you didn't even have a car. Again, we take that for granted, but before the war, it wasn't, you know, not everybody had all these things that, that we have today. And so your favorite team was the Dubuque Cubs or whatever. The league that you followed was the Illinois Iowa League. And, and this is especially profound in like California, where the Pacific Coast League had teams in San Francisco and Oakland and Los Angeles and, and other places like Bakersfield. And those were your teams. And guess what? The DiMaggio brothers came out of that league. That was quality ball. But since now Major League Baseball controls the narrative, that stuff is gone. It's gone from the consciousness. And there's so much rich history there. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a minute. But first, I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably in sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl one, the 36th Berlin Olympic, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like 
just don't give it. And now, get a free one-week subscription to newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. Let's change things up a little bit. Let's hit the fast forward button. Let's not go to such ancient sports or even, you know, 100 years ago, 70 years ago sports. Let's go to in the last month. I mean, we have a lot of things going on. And I'll, I'll speak from, uh, I know you're a football fan of, of multiple leagues. Uh, you know, myself, I, I enjoy a lot of football myself. Now, okay, first of all, let's talk about the NFL draft. Now, who we had four quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round kind of a, a rarity uh you wouldn't think so but it is kind of rare uh, out of those four quarterbacks who do you think is is put in the best place to succeed for their talents matched up to their team wow that's a great question i was very big on zach wilson to start uh i think that you know he's got some pedigree there he's coming out of byu which is quarterback factory they always say, yeah, these guys don't have any competition. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's the kind of guy that puts the MX missile into the glass of vodka, right? I mean, you've mm-hmm. seen this guy play. He just places it everywhere. Okay, now he's going to have to do that a little bit quicker in the NFL, but hey, yeah, that's the way it is. Okay, now, I don't think he's going to lose that placement. So I like that. But then, you know, some folks have been talking me out of him. And the Jets is kind of where quarterbacks go to die, isn't it? Uh, yeah, promising young quarterbacks yeah they kind of just crash and burn there ever since ken o'brien he was really the last decent rookie uh they had for them he lasted about 10 years for them um so i was kind of into wilson certainly mac jones is in a great spot uh mm-hmm. if he's worth a damn people forget about the patriots that how many do you remember the final total and how many opted out overall? Uh, I, think, I think it was like 60 yeah i think it was something right. like that you're right there yeah. was quite a few patriots yeah eight of them were patriots okay all those guys are back okay then you have the spending splurge in the off season okay their offensive line last season was okay anyway Right. I mean, it was pretty decent, actually. The real problem was Cam Newton holding on to the ball. And then when he didn't hold on to the ball, bouncing it three times to his receivers. Okay. So, so that's not the problem. So, in th- and, and, and again, he's coming out of, you know, Bill Belichick's favorite college. So he's got everything going for him. And, and they, sort of re, they sort of rebuilt uh, what they had before having two uh, phenomenal tight ends because they, yeah, they did that exactly. in the offseason too. They're going to have to, they're going to be able to run a lot of two tight end sets, with, which Bilicek has yeah. been itching to do since the days of Rache Caldwell. You mm-hmm. know, he's been dying to do that again uh, with better receivers this time, hopefully. So he's in a nice position. Um, the other guys, you know, Trey Lance. Um, he has he has all those intangibles you know his 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 coaches love him he did that thing where he wasn't gonna play the game but because a bunch of his teammates scholarships rode on whether they won that game he went in and he won the game 
he had a middling statistical game, which made him look bad on the draft board, supposedly, but he did it anyway. Great teammate, but they're going to develop him for a year. Jacksonville, forget it. I actually did the stats on him the other day, on Jacksonville the other day. The last time they had a passing offense with any quarterback in the top half of the league was in year 2000. And a rookie's going to do it, you know, with, yeah. with this demolished team? No, that's not in the short term. Not, not him immediately. Uh, I saw that the Texans drafted a quarterback in the early second round. Well, the Texans are my pick to go one in 16. So I don't know. I guess I guess all things considered, maybe back, Jones. You know, everybody seems to think that Cam's going to start this season. But will he really? And if he does, is Bilicek just trying to get the Brady mojo, hoping that Cam Newton goes out in the second game? Is that where we're at? Or, or will Mac Jones start week one? If Mac Jones starts week one, I'd be afraid. That means he's, right. he's he's ready to go, and he's near that ceiling rather than that floor. But you know what's wild? The thing I I'm really looking forward to this season in the AFC. Whew, they got a lot of good teams in the AFC this year, huh? By the looks oh, yeah. of it, Miami, Buffalo. If they can do much of what they did last year, Cleveland is going to be a beast. And then there's still, oh, guess what? Kansas City's still in the division. And, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the Chargers look pretty good, too. You know, it's just like, wow. There's going to be some good. Team. It doesn't look so good for your Pittsburgh Steelers, I would say. No, they got there's some uh, big competition <laughs> here between the Ravens and the Browns. Both look pretty good on paper. Both were pretty good last year. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. There, how, how did be... you like? How did you like your pick? How did how did you like uh, Najee? It, it, he was a chalk, and I think he yeah. definitely fills a need. And I think he is probably the reincarnation of Le'Veon Bell, you know, six seven years ago. Mm-hmm. If he's up to playing in the pro at the pro level, and he can do it all, he was the most well rounded back probably in the last three or four drafts. I would say, pro, seemingly pro ready. I mean, I, I like that. I wasn't real crazy about taking the tight end in the second round when you have uh, you're losing three starters off your offensive line, you yeah. know, and you have a, a 39 year old quarterback. Yeah. But uh, they they yeah. seem to uh, the third and fourth round they they went to uh, some linemen, so filled yeah. some need. They yeah, like those. Knows. They like those running backs named Harris in Pittsburgh. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he turns out like the last one named Harris did. Even even if he does half of what the last one did, that would be, that'd be nice. All right, now I'm going to pick your brain a little bit before we let you go. And I know you've talked about this a lot on a lot of different podcasts lately, but this whole CFL, XFL, oh you know, the talks, I, wouldn't, I won't say merger, the talks and sort of what they're leaking out to the public and our imaginations are running wild. What do you think is going to happen with that here's the dark side of truly the goats here's one thing you learn sports die you know leagues die and when you've got a situation where you have the cfl now the cfl is different than the north american model in that it's dependent on fans And I don't mean fan interest. I mean fans going to the games. (laughs) Now, in all other respects, the CFL is like other sports, right? Why go to the game? It's at night. 
in a lot of cases. You're driving outside the city in a lot of cases. You got to pay for parking. You got to pay for the babysitter. It's the same thing. You're paying for food at the game. You're probably not going to drink at the game, even though you want to, because you got to drive home. Why would you do that in October in Canada when you can stay home, and grab your beer and drink it? And this year, now, uh, middle of December. Right. Right. <laughs> now, of course, of course, there is the argument. Well, why can't they get the TV contract? Well, because the neighbor of Canada is the U.S. OK. <laughs> and the truth is not so much in the in the smaller markets. OK. Not so much in your Calgary's, in your Saskatchewan, especially Saskatchewan province, um, not in place, not in Edmonton, not in places like that. But Toronto, for example, is a major league city. Okay, nothing else will do. So you've also got that going against you. And even a league like, okay, one of the big leagues that's coming up in Canada right now is their professional cross league. And there's also curling, right? Which Canadians go nuts for. These are both coming up. Why? Because they're on TV. Now, of course, the CFL is on TV, but course football is way 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 more expensive to do than something like curling it requires a lot more resources and you have the nfl okay now the cfl xfl thing okay if you remember from the first dispatches we got about this it was about combining ideas on marketing okay at least that's what they said and yeah, they're right, okay? That's what the CFL needs. However, you don't need a team. I can do it for way less money. You need the TV thing. Okay, so combined with the XFL, seems like a great idea, right? You'll get the TV. You'll get played on TV in America. Oh, yeah, except that now CFL season clashes with NFL season. Who's going to watch it? The CFL has been getting a big bump in the U.S. in recent years. Why? Three years. It's fantasy football, gambling, and there's two months of CFL before the NFL, before college football even starts. Right. Okay. So everybody is jonesing for football. Like Vince McMahon talked about in 2000 with the XFL. Everybody who's jonesing for football only has to wait, like, what, three months after the Super Bowl to start playing fantasy again. To start betting again, you know, but not anymore because not, well, not this year because now we're starting in August because of COVID, but this is a problem. How can you move the CFL up to the spring? They have traditions. The thing that blows my mind about all of this is they're talking about merging the CFL and the XFL. They're talking about making essentially the CFL submissive to the XFL. We're going to play with American rules, right? We're going to have uh, American uh, stadiums and things like this, right? We're going to have it on American TV. And yet the CFL is a league that goes back to the 50s. It's a sport that goes back to when football was indistinguishable from rugby. Like you can trace the history directly of the Grey Cup from rugby. And yet we're supposed to bend to a league that has managed to produce one and a quarter seasons in 21 years. Now, now is that really what you think their intention was is to merge them or see the, what I gathered from it, it was almost be a relationship, almost like the AFL was to the NFL. 
you played two separate leagues. You play, you know, interleague play until you have a common championship. Your each, each league's champion plays each other. Then you have to worry about the, the rules differences. That's what that I was be, sort of getting. That would be the dream scenario. Okay, but there's no precedent for this. There's it, it wouldn't be the same thing because you're dealing with two different rule sets. Right. Okay. The thing is, there is precedent for this. In fact, it's in Gaelic football. Gaelic football is different from rugby. It's different from American football, Canadian football, whatever. It's on that prism, but it's a different game. Okay, now, there's another game in Australia called Australian Rules Football. Okay? Well, it's a different game. Okay, but there is a set of rules enabling teams from these two leagues to play against one another. Um, it's like a compromised set of rules. Now, ideally, you would do that in a CFL, XFL league, right? Really? Do you really think that this sort of thing is going to fly in North America? I just, I just can't see it. I can't see it with, with basically the U.S. money interests calling the shots because that's the other secret about any connection between these two leagues is that the CFL is starting from about a $50 million debt. And that's the issue that needs to be addressed, no matter what. That's that's why I almost that's why I almost think that um, you almost have to. They really have to consider changing their season because even a traditional CFL season is in competition with the NFL and college football, and they'll never win that battle in the United States. Whereas the yes. XFL and some of the other leagues that that came about, you know the. Uh, American, what was the one a couple of years ago that had the, the former NFL executives? The uh, oh, the AAF. AAF. I mean, they were trying to do is almost be uh, an off-season brand of football to try to gain interest, sort of like arena football does. You know, it, it gained some popularity when it wasn't in direct competition with the NFL because you'll never beat the NFL in this era. You'll never, you know, they're they're too big and they're too popular. And same with college football. The only league that succeeded in football in this respect, in anything resembling the modern day, is the USFL. And the way that they succeeded is not by, well, for the limited time that they did, is not by saying either we're in direct competition or we're a minor league. They just unselfconsciously played football and they went after some of the bigger names that option isn't really available anymore but it was available it was available then because the nfl needed to expand for one thing and for another thing because the salaries were not in proportion to the amount that the owners were raking in in the nfl they're still not but at least they're a bit more now at least you know players are making a percentage of what the owners make uh but, back then but, it was a sliver so. their popularity never I mean, they, they had some people at games, but they weren't, you know, they were nowhere on the caliber of college football and NFL. Well, they people. succeeded in some markets. Uh, they did very well in Birmingham and they did very well in Denver, for example. They did crap in Los Angeles, but we know that Los Angeles is a crap football market, at least for home teams, right? But, but their whole their teams. whole existence came down to what, an antitrust suit against the NFL where they won yeah. like a dollar or something well, and they... They bankrupt them. They were done. Yeah. 
don't 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 get me started on that. I have a truly <laughs> I have a truly the goats that uh, that talks somewhat about that as well. I have an episode on that as well. But um, yeah, the conditions are not the same to do the USFL anymore. But also, the CFL is a different beast. We're not just talking about again. This is not just another sports league. It's not just even another major sports league. Canadian football is a distinct sport. Canadian football is a distinct sport with a long history. Even if the CFL merges with the XFL and manages to survive that way going forward, something has been lost. You know, this this is something too. I mean, like, okay, I wanted to go back to actually what you said before. You said, it seems like it's this. Okay, great. All right, maybe it is that. But this thing has been snowballed. Okay, and people from TSN, people from the league, journalists that cover the CFL are coming out and saying, look, they're going to get rid of three down football, going to get rid of that. And that implies, too, that they're going to get rid of the 55 yard line. They're going to get rid of, you know, the unlimited motion before the snap. They're going to make it 11 men on the side and not 12, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the sport dies it just does canadian football dies when that happens because then of course what the canadian uh colleges are gonna have to feel the pressure to switch high schools switch so on and so see i don't i don't think they're gonna get rid of their traditional canadian things i think if anything hopefully not they would make the xfl adopt those the three down football the motion wow Uh, I, i that's what i think I think because there's got to be some compromise. Like like you said, you know, the XFL has played just over a season in 20 years, you know, and they've, I mean, they've folded up tent, you know, more than twice in the middle of a season. And uh, so they've got to be the ones that give up the bigger compromise. And, you know, and Dwayne Johnson's no dummy. He's a businessman. He played in the CFL. He understands the culture. He understands the rules. He understands the importance of Canadians. I think the compromise for the CFL is that change of season. That's what I, that's what I think. If anything's going to happen, that's what will happen. Okay, but but here you go. Here, here's the thing. The Americans hold three big cards. They have the money, they have the numbers, and they have the TV. That's it. The sickest thing, the sickest thing about all this is that the, the Canadians are having to go to another country for help. Imagine if the British Premiership, the British Soccer League, was in danger of of going under. And so they had to merge with like the Bundesliga in Germany. I mean, imagine that. And then they had to like sell their games in Germany. And then they had to get rid of like player ratios, right? So the whole development scheme is done. And then all of a sudden Manchester United is 23 German guys. It's an insane situation. This just would not happen anywhere else, you know, except to a neighbor of the U.S. You know, it's wild. <laughs> it's, it's, in, in a way, it harkens back to past situations, but in a way, it's unique to our time and culture. If I want to take a truly the goat stance on this. Well, if you want to take a truly the goat stance, I'm going to bring you to something that I'm very much in doing research because I, it's coming up on the anniversary. We're uh, taping this on uh, May 11th. May 14th, May 15th, that's the anniversary of the 
Harvard McGill games. And it was a Canadian school, McGill university coming down to Harvard first day they played by Harvard's rules, which was, mm -hmm. I guess, more of a rugby soccer, not even much rugby, more of a soccer match and McGill, they compromised on some rules and McGill the next day played by their rules mm -hmm. and uh, taught Harvard their ways and Harvard ended up liking it, you know, mm -hmm. and it was basically football that had some downs uh, carrying the ball around the field and they liked it and it passed on to America and, you know, Yale and Walter camp got his hands on it and, and did some reform to American football and, but it came from Canada. Yeah. So wouldn't yeah. that be interesting 140 some years later that you have sort of that same mixture of the CFL with an American league, the XFL and come up with some hybrid well, game. I've been arguing about some of this stuff for years and the XFL in fact cribbed a couple of very useful things from the CFL. For example, the uh, no fair catch. Now people go, Americans tend to go, oh yeah, no fair catch. Wow. Those guys must get pummeled. No, because what happens is they have to give that cushion, right? That's the deal is that uh, it's not, I mean, the guy can't call for a fair catch, but you can't just come up and paste them. You have to give them like a one yard radius. It's like a cushion. So, and that's like, makes for really great plays because it's the guy is catching it and he knows that he's going to get pummeled and he has to make a move as soon as he catches it. So it makes for some great play and it cuts down on a lot of the dangers on special teams. When again, the guy's not looking, he's looking up and he just gets smeared. You know, you can't have that, right? It's a football safety thing. Here's a, and that's something that the XFL took from the CFL. The other one, of course, is one foot in bounds on a catch, right? One foot in bounds on a catch. That would be great, right? That would be great for the American game to adopt because then you can get rid of a hell of a lot of replays and get rid of a hell of a lot of, is that a no, catch? Is that not a catch? But, but we, we have that at all other levels of football. College right, has exactly, a high school has exactly. it. It, uh, yeah, so it wouldn't really be that big right. of a stretch for Americans to adopt. But I, I think well, for the NFL, but and, right, and, right. and the key one for me is the key. Excuse me. I want to get this one in, too. The key ahead. one. The key one for me is this, too. In the CFL, the lines give a yard. OK, the neutral zone is a yard. OK, so in other words, you're not just ramming into each other constantly, repetitively over and over and over again. Okay, this is something that the NFL should adopt yesterday. Okay, this cuts down on CTE. It's certainly not going to eliminate it, but it's going to cut it down radically if you put that into the game. I think that's something that, that football must take up in order to survive. I mean, literally, because more and more kids are going to stop playing this game because of head injuries. And this is one way to cut down on that overnight is by adopting True. the big neutral zone of the CFL. True. The one thing I'm going to leave you with is I think if they do merge, and even if the XFL stands alone and comes back, they got to bring back their greatest aspect of XFL is the original XFL, and that's who gets the ball. There's no coin toss. They, put oh, the ball, they okay. drop the ball. It's almost like dropping the puck at midfield, and a guy would run from each sideline, and whoever got possession of the ball – they would get the ball first. I think that was a great aspect of football. No, no, that was terrible. That was I terrible. Loved <laughs> I People loved it. loved it. And on the first play, a guy got injured. 
the very first time they did that XFL 2000, a guy got injured. Yeah, so no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Maybe, maybe just a simple foot race or like a relay. Maybe they should have to do the lateral at the end of the game at the beginning of the game and whoever can do it faster or better because <laughs> otherwise that play never works that play is useless so <laughs> the, the hook and ladder or whatever uh... well i i think uh, we covered a lot of ground here we probably uh went beyond the normal boundaries of the uh sports history uh showcase uh, and uh, <laughs> but i think we covered a lot of the interesting topics and uh i appreciate you uh, letting me host uh, your your program and uh, interview you. So it's... Thanks. I'm sorry we went long, folks. I think maybe the one thing besides a love of history that everybody at the Sports History Network has in common is we all love to talk. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> and our live wives don't let us, so we have to talk to each other. <laughs> or talk to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. All right. all right. Thank you very much, Oz. Thanks. This has been the Sports History Network Showcase Podcast. The theme song for the SHN Showcase is Quartz by Onitech, and it is available through fair use agreement via freemusicarchive.org. SHN Showcase will be back soon with another Sports History Network podcast. Until then, this is Oz Davis saying stay safe and stay historical. <laughs>